ADT professionally installs Google Nest products, helping to make your home safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security system from virtually anywhere. And with Nest Cams and Nest Doorbell, you get intelligent alerts on what matters most. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Sticking around longer than Melee at Evo, this is the E-League Report, the best damn esports show you'll listen to this week. I'm a little country, he's a little rock and roll, and we're coming at you live from a puddle of seven's tears after hearing about the Hearthstone Masters. Oh, a puddle of anger as well. Can we just, we'll we'll preface it as that. Anger (laughs) and tears, and that's going to be the happy segment. (laughs) <laughs> right, right, right. Totally. You know, uh, the, you know the show all too well. I do, I do. On this episode, Overwatch finally gets a new hero. Evo brings us some lineup surprises. Uh, the aforementioned Hearthstone esports finally get to their actual announcement. And Fortnite hits a bump in the road. But first, Valve has once again proved that they listen to the show. So rumor has it, according to inside sources that VP Esports claims to have, that Valve is considering a move to fully acquire Auto Chess and turn it into an official Valve project. So we talked about this on last episode, so not surprised that these rumors are flying around because we have our finger on the pulse of the esports industry. Uh, Artifact obviously been a massive flop. There are millions of people playing Auto Chess. 400,000, we saw, just joined in the last four days. Right, right. Uh, are you surprised at all that Valve is doing this? <laughs> no, not at all. I think uh, there was a was it the tweet that said Russian fishing four had more. It showed it like on Twitch had almost like two hundred more people than Artifact did playing it. And on by two hundred, we mean like they had three hundred and Artifact had like one hundred. Yeah, it was really really rough. Like I had not. The seen bigger question is is how is there four versions of Russian fishing? <laughs> <laughs> right and also that they've they've yeah obviously they've done well enough or better than valve to continue making it the chance of a russian fishing five higher than the chances of artifact two well, well here's what here's the thing will we see a million dollar tournament coming from russian fishing rushing russian fishing four wow yeah is it just like a shirtless putin ice fishing is that like what the game looks like it reminds me of one of those is ios games we would do for app junkies yeah it's a it's a million dollar game right there no doubt so not surprised by this at all. I mean, this is a smart no. move by Valve if this is actually true. We talked about this before. Like, It's got to hurt the ego a little bit to know that, once again, a mod has come in and done better than the official game that was meant to extend the Dota universe. That being said, they are giving them credit because we also said last week that we wish they would do this and learn some lessons from Blizzard who let the MOBA genre get away right. from them in their own backyard. Yeah, I think it's a it's a smart move for them. Um, and really, if you think about it, they can just build it because they have the mod. I mean, if you're if you're the person who's created the mod, you can only really contain like keep the rights for so long. For you're basically made it around a game that isn't able to. Oh, use and if it, you so. read the Eula around those mods, like you basically just give them oh, yeah. ownership. Yeah, yeah. So Val comes in saying, "Hey, we'll buy it from you." You kind of like, mm, yeah. At this point. We kind of have to. Like we had mentioned uh, last show, I think it was that uh, Netties was trying was tra- was yep. trying to come in and, and swoop in and get them and make a game out of it. Yep. So Valve I mean, probably got a four that. million player base. Like who wouldn't want that? Right, right. And and so I'm sure Valve is even seeing more numbers on it outside just that player base. Probably seeing like average time played and everything. It's it, it's 
got to be it's yep. got to be pretty huge for them to jump in there and be like we want to just straight up buy this this mod and 10% growth in 4 days like that's it's just crazy not crazy talk and most games like AAA titles struggle sometimes to reach 4 million players yeah they they do and to, again to have this on a game that's already been around for so long yep. and to basically just find a a, a what is an essentially a, an expansion of the game by accident uh is is pretty pretty crazy uh, kudos to them for stepping on it as quickly as they did so you mentioned at the top of the show uh, overwatch did announce their hero number 30 a new playable support character by the name of batiste uh so batiste is an interesting mix i i believe of abilities uh, how well do you think he'll actually fit in the meta yeah, so I think the open question is that everybody was hoping that they would answer. Now, Kaplan hedged his bets a little bit more than I'm going to here. But I think this is explicitly, whether they want to admit it or not, a hard counter to GOATS. Because right. that, uh, what is it called, the um, invulnerability or immortality uh, matrix that he has basically puts down a cylindrical uh, like wall i guess for a better way of putting it so he has this little device he tosses in the air creates a cylindrical field and when you're inside the cylindrical field you basically have your health bar locked where it can't go below a certain point right now it's a low amount of health i don't know the exact percentage yet but it looks to be five ten percent max that the people can go down to but the key here is that if you think about what a good goats well depending on how you feel about goats a good goats match goes it is all about building up that ultimate rush right you want to basically use the slam from Reinhardt, you want to throw in the Graviton Surge, and then you want to drop the D.Va uh, self-destruct right in the middle of that group, and that's kind of like right. the wombo combo in a lot of cases. But being able to step back, because he could plays a very ranged style, and being able to just th- toss that Matrix in there is massive. And then he, or sorry, the field, because then he also has this amplification matrix that all healing and gunfire that goes through it is amplified right. 2x so if the perfect play here now we'll see how this actually goes in practice but the perfect play here is be able to get your team in that matrix so it absorbs essentially all you know the dam or up to t- you know to the point where everybody drops to 10 percent, and then two shot heal them with those bionic grenade launchers that he has because it's right. a splash damage type situation so I think from that standpoint, it is a potentially meta-changing pick if it plays out that way. Now, the amount of skill it takes to do that is obviously going to be pretty high, especially in the moment. But they've already confirmed like one of the things is for it to eat ultimates. They use uh, Junkrat's Rip Tire as an example in the developer video. Yeah, I think they did mention the fact that uh, it feels a lot like he's more of a a main healer than he is a just kind of like a secondary healer. He's yep. played definitely the primary healing healer in a lot. And so... Uh, and it looks that way. I saw a little bit of gameplay on Rialto in that first point. He was uh, playing defensive. Yep. And uh, you have the ability to kind of shoot at range and heal people, much like Ana does, mm-hmm. where you can uh, – that second kind of bridge area where in Rialto where people can kind of run out instead of like the main death trap where everybody yep. tries yep. to run out. Basically, um, you can create a secondary choke point. Yeah, and he, he can essentially be around the corner from the first checkpoint – Splash healing anybody behind Reinhardt kind of on the payload and then also shoot. And if you're, you, it takes some uh, obviously some skill to kind of lob yeah. the grenade. It's similar in a way to being able to do junk rat at range, right? Operates. Yeah. And you're just basically shooting heals at range across the other side. So, I mean, it has a lot of ability to keep that healing up. You mentioned the immortality field. They said again that they, it will drop them down to a percentage of heals, which I assume is going to be kind of. It's on the PTR now, but it's going to be one of those things where it's kind of contested. It's likely going to change. 
because it has the ability to be uh, almost just as powerful as like Zenyatta's alt, right? Yeah. And this is something that uh, actually isn't his alt. This is just no, an this ability. is just his regular ability is the amplification matrix that is his actual alt. Right. So he can do that multiple times. So you don't want it nearly as strong as Zenyatta's alt when he can do this multiple times. Correct. It has. It looks like, if I'm correct, I didn't actually get to see it too, too much in, in the gameplay, um, but it looks at right around the same kind of width as like Winston's dome, essentially. Uh, it's actually smaller than that. Oh, yeah, So yeah, if yeah, you yeah. look at it at its base, uh, you definitely could get everybody in there, but you're literally on top of each other, gotcha. which is where, like, it's not actually bad in like a Graviton surge situation, but you are definitely taking a risk grouping up into that. Uh, the other thing that's important to understand is the the generator that generates this immortality field actually is targetable similar to like a recent yeah, supercharger yeah. um so i'm not sure how this interacts with some of those explodey type alts the question here is is if it did absorb for example a diva alt would that also take out the matrix itself allowing there to be more damage that could come through that's why the timing of that follow-up heal is important because if the absorbing the alt effectively oh. can take it down and everybody's at 10 percent it's a quick cleanup duty if your healer is not on point. Yeah, but okay. So remember the the patch that they just recently fixed how healing was taken out or the, how damage was Oh, it was, was for done? this ability. It was for this ability. Yep. Yeah. So they found they basically found the error probably in that same scenario. And they had to kind of tweak it a little bit. So Yeah, because if you watch the way it works, even as you're healing them, there's like it's not a secondary health bar, but they show like the locked out piece where they can't drop below that while they're in the field. And then you can see the kind of normal health bar behind that indicator, and that's you can see how you're healing them up. Right. How do you think what do you think about these exoboots? This is another thing where they've kind of added almost like a false difficulty to a character, maybe like a little bit additional of a skill ceiling just by having this, you have to press one button to kind of crouch slash charge it and another one obviously to jump. I mean, it's not a difficult maneuver to pull off, but it is one of those things where like not a ton of people in Overwatch actually crouch. I mean, obviously as you get higher up into gameplay, it is It's all about teabagging. Right, yeah. (laughs) But, uh, and then also sprays, right? So, uh, but I think... It's one of the things where it almost feels like why not just hold the 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 jump button and then release the jump button right, right. It, like that makes the most sense but it's kind of this again like this kind of false skill ceiling what, what's your thoughts yeah so this is interesting because this is a mechanic we've seen pop up in different ways I think I called it like a passive movement mechanic they've started to fall in love with yeah. so actually our first real version of this which I think is the easiest to control is that little air dash thing that Hanzo can do when they added in his last rework and that's the easiest one to trigger and the easiest one to manage then it got more difficult with the jackhammer ability that that they added to Wrecking Ball, that ability to kind of like hit in, I think it's crouch in the air that brings him down. And there's also some movement mechanic to that. So that's a little bit more difficult. This one is just wonky for no real reason, like Mm -hmm. holding crouch to charge it and then jump. I get what they're trying to do because it's supposed to be literally like he's hunkering down to do a big jump. But from a control standpoint, it feels slightly awkward. And I'm surprised, like you said, that isn't more of just like a hold down and let go kind of jump mechanic with just the space bar, for example. Um, what that will do to gameplay will be actually pretty interesting because it gives him maneuverability. So we talked, you know, we've drawn a lot of comparisons to Ana, and I think this is another one of those cases where he just feels like a better Ana because he can heal at range, which she can, but he's a lot more forgiving in the fact that it splashes on initial drops. So these don't bounce right. per se uh, like Junkrat's bombs do. This it, this just explodes kind of like the grenade that Ana has. And so he can throw that in there. Now, it only does healing. There's no damage element to the bio grenades. 
but it gives him that mobility that she lacks. She has trouble getting into high ground on maps. He usually has to go the slow way around or just find yourself in the back line where he can jump up high or he can use it as an escape mechanism, make himself harder mm-hmm. to target and still lob those grenades in there. So I think he becomes a top tier healer very, very quickly. I think so, too. A- again, to counter a lot of the current meta, I think he's got the ability to bust it. A lot of times where you see where you see people sort of like switch over to Sombra just to get a good break through and to kind of pull off a combo, he feels a lot in that same kind of arena, but almost maybe more on a, like a defensive standpoint yep. uh, where he can kind of like, like, again, hold down a point and maybe make them a little sturdier, especially with that uh, – with the uh, immortality. immortality field, yep. yeah, and he's also got a, he has actually some good damage. So if you watch some of the videos on the training grounds that people put up almost immediately when he hit the PTR, he's got this burst rifle, right? And that burst rifle with a headshot is basically just like two triggers, and the, it's down and through his amplification matrix. It's only two shots from a single burst that were taking down one of those training robots with a headshot. So it does yeah. some decent power. It's it positions like May's wall, and it's definitely small. Like it is not the width of May's wall is probably a third or a quarter of the width of May's wall. And so that will be interesting as well to see like how much skill it actually takes to place it because it's also not super high, which means that like it's literally going to be people standing behind him that are able to shoot straight through it. Uh, but some of the examples that they were giving on the developer stream are interesting in that everything stacks. So there's obviously the insane version of this, but if you're talking Arisa's supercharger, Mercy's damage boost, Ana's nano boost and then this amplification field you basically one shot somebody right well the thing is he, it's not you have to be directly behind him he can uh angle it just like may's wall so it has the same mechanic right you, you, have, to direct, you have to be a direct line of sight of, of the, it of the, yeah, you of can't the be like up on high ground necessarily the angle will be really hard because of how short the the field is right right yeah so it does kind of close down that angle pretty quickly i one of the things i do think uh, uh again i saw a little bit of uh, actual gameplay using the uh, his SMG basically yep. at, from like an offensive standpoint, I think he was actually fighting a Genji and did fairly well. Like yep. actually took out the Genji. I'm just waiting for the time where you you you're firing, you switch between bursts, throw by the grenade, and Genji deflects it and just kind of helps heal you. <laughs> like I wonder if that yeah. actually works because it doesn't. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know the logic behind Genji's deflect because this is is this our first true healing projectile? No, we got Ana with her grenades already but but her grenades have a uh effect oh, on enemies yeah, yeah, this has right. zero effect on enemies because Anna's darts do damage her bionic grenade does the decreased healing zenyatta's none of his healing is projectile based lucio's which will not this is the other thing too about that amplification matrix a lot of the healers actually will not get any benefit outside of him because their healing is not projectile based right i think mercy's might work if the beam goes through that was unclear if you follow somebody through yeah but he is the first person that i can think of and someone will probably email us and correct me but like i believe he's the only healer with a true healing projectile and if that is the case i don't know how the deflect would work if it would just you know, hit Genji like no big thing, or if you literally could heal yourself by, I mean, again, there's no reason to, because you can just splash down at the ground, but I'd just be curious to see how that deflect logic works with something like that. Yeah. I was something I was just thinking, I didn't get a chance to see it at all, but I was waiting for it just to see. That was one of the things I was wondering is if you could essentially fake one of them out. Um, but no, I never didn't really get to have it in the clip I got to watch. So yeah. so we'll see. Uh, Batista's already on the PTR as we speak, and they've been pretty quick to turn those around into drops, I'd imagine. Not this coming Tuesday, because there'll probably be a round of changes, but possibly the following Tuesday patch day. We could potentially see him on uh, the public 
uh, realms going forward. Yeah. Now, when that we will yeah. may not be able to yeah. see the professional impact of him until probably stage two. I don't know if they've articulated the exact logic in which they're going to use for these new character and patch rollouts. Uh, but given that, like, we know that it's going to be a while before Paris is in the map rotation, I imagine they'll wait a while on Batiste. So the impact he may have on Goats may not be truly understood until it gets to the professional level because Goats requires a tremendous amount of coordination that you don't see sometimes even in the highest levels of ladder play. Right. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. I would like to see uh, maybe jump in on. Uh, uh, the stage two, it'd be great. Yep. Even even sooner if we could, but we know that it kind of guard stages so that you don't totally get swept they up. They don't want inconsistencies halfway right, through. With right, the right, right. And drops. besides, uh, you don't want to throw off the uh, the the run, the tear that Shanghai Dragons is on. I know, and this could just screw. This could be though the catalyst for their like winning the whole thing. That's right. That's right. They actually, if you didn't know, they actually uh, Shanghai Dragons won their first match. So now you, they're. Uh, one in forty-two, not zero oh in forty-two. And like you said, there were tears in the audience. There were, yeah, actually, people. If you get a chance to watch the clip, there were people in the audience wearing, uh, I believe, it was NYXL jerseys, crying. People in tears. People running through the arena, just like yelling and screaming because Shanghai did it. Uh, the, the crowd was probably more enthusiastic than the players. I think the players had a moment of shock. Like uh, oh, did this actually happen? Was Gaguri actually playing when this? No, happened? she was backstage. She got subbed out. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was the one thing I wanted, was hoping for. But uh, they, even the announcer was like, "She's got to be going crazy back there." For yeah. this win. Oh, shit. All right, moving on to some CS:GO. The new champions are set to take the stage this week at IEM Katowice. The list of teams include Navi, Liquid, MIBR, Phase, Ents, Renegades, and ugh, Ninjas in Pajamas. Easy for me to say. Are you surprised at how the weekend turned out, and who is going to take it home? Well, I think uh, some of the big surprises throughout the tournament have been Ents and Renegades, right? And those were the two that uh, came up through the Challengers stage. Uh, I think they were originally ranked eighth and ninth in the seeding, and uh, by and their fellow made, competitors, by their competitors, correct, and and made it through. I I think some of the surprises were um, Energy was doing well; they're rate, rated six, and Big. I would say Big has continued to do well. They did well. They started to do well, uh, even at the E League. Invitational, and they they have this. Uh, I guess they're always the bridesmaid, never the bride kind of mentality. <laughs> it's like they 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 get most of the way through tournament and then just kind of hit a wall. Uh, so I'm I'm surprised that they didn't take this one further, being that they've. I feel like they had some more time compared to some of these others uh, with their their team in terms of not having a t- ton of turmoil. But alas, not so much the case. Those two got knocked out. Uh, who this this is this tournament bracket is pretty crazy right now for a major because because of the new seeding aspect of it, the quarterfinals are largely weighted towards those top four seeds, right? right. So the semis could easily turn out to be a, a rough one, which would equate to Liquid versus Navi and MIBR versus Astralis, if it turns out that way, because you've got uh, again you've got uh, MIBR. Uh, has probably the closest seed. I think they actually had to go against Renegades. But again, your eighth and ninth seeds go against these kind of. I don't. The, it, the way it's lining up, it, it could easily be your top four run through. You're going to need a, a surprise from one of these teams, like Ents. Uh, Renegades phase needs to kind of come back and, and do something strong here to win out. Uh, but really, I mean, we're looking at, in all honesty, a a four way uh, semifinals here that is just insane. It's insane stuff. And so there is still the possibility with the way that the bracket is set up 
that we're going to get the Liquid versus Astralis matchup that we've wanted to see pretty much the entire time, and that Liquid really wants to finally overcome the final boss in Astralis. And It'd be ironic major. that they finally did when we got rid of them being in just because they're legends. Well, yeah, right, right, exactly. And so Astralis has kind of been. If you look at a, sorry, if you look at a team, if if you look at Liquid throughout this year, they have been an incredible NA team, but it's been overshadowed by the fact that Astralis has just been a beast, yeah. right? And so. Uh, even historically when Cloud9 won that major, Liquid has had a better year than Cloud9 did even leading up to that. And definitely after it, because that was we won't that, that's the part of the year we won't talk about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyways, uh so the fact that we still have a chance of, of that turning out to be a a an actual final it would just be just an insane thing to watch. If this ends up happening, how much of this is because of this new seeding system? Like, did we find the magic pill to make the seeding systems actually end up in the result that we expect them to? Well, this is, again, it's all because of that, uh, the way that they chose to have their competitors rank each other and how it's shaken up is almost spot on. I mean, you had, again, the surprises were big in NRG, but they were upended by the two people who were ranked way higher than some of the people who were already in, in the legend stats to begin with, right? So uh and and Renegades kind of took over spots for I think complexity. I'm I'm kind of blanking on who else had the other spot. So they were kind of already grandfathered in by the old system. Right. And so this allows them to essentially like do I mean we knew complexity wasn't going to make it, but it just kind of allows them again the ability to uh, go even further in this tournament when they're on a hot streak. So the Cinderella story is still alive but I do believe Ents is going to have to go through Navi like right out of the gate, uh, and I think Renegades is going to have to go through uh, MIBR. If I'm correct, I'm trying to visualize the bracket we looking right. at before the show. Uh, they got an uphill battle no matter who they really end up against. But e- either way, they're going to have to go through Liquid and Navi or MIBR and Astralis, and that's a huge ask of any team, no matter how hot you are. But if they do pull it off, it'll be amazing. I- if any of those make it past the quarterfinals into the semis, that is golden for them. I mean, that, that is, is a worthy. Yeah. And it's not because you have like one, one person such as like simple kind of carrying the team. These teams well, diver- well deserve where they, where they've landed. All right. So uh, one of the things I did want to talk to you about was, was Evo. So Evo 2019 announced their main stage lineup this week on Twitch. Uh, I got a chance to actually watch hungry box, Watched the uh, the announcement and his response. Oh my gosh, I was heartbreaking. Uh, but as usual, there's a mixed bag of emotions surrounding these picks on what's going to be on the main stage. So let's talk a little bit about the biggest losers and winners. You're already rubbing your hands together, like you've you've got a, a lot to say here. So, uh, which camp uh, in the FGC community do you think was hurt the most in this? Oh, man. So let's go through this list first so people right. can sure. kind of wrap their brains if you've not heard this list yet. So the official 2019 lineup, these are the main stage games. These are the games that are going to get official support from the Evo as competition as opposed to like this is not side tournaments and things of that nature. So this is Blaze Blue Cross Tag, Dragon Ball Fighters, the new Mortal Kombat 11, which will be out by this point, comes out in April. Uh, the new Samurai Showdown, first big surprise, uh, yeah. Soul Calibur 6. Street Fighter V Arcade Edition, Smash Ultimate, so the new version for the Switch, Tekken 7, no surprise there, and Undernight Inbirth X Latest, so the latest edition of the French Bread game that is also co-published by Arc Systems, so technically another Arc Systems game, which means we have no Dead or Alive 6. Yeah. I'm slow rolling it here. And most 
devastatingly to people is Melee is once again out. Now, to be clear, this is not the first time that Evo has tried to exclude Melee from the main lineup, but it looks like this time may actually happen. And that is what's got the community all up in arms. Now, in previous attempts to exclude it, there has been riots and Reddit surveys and polls and walkouts and just all sorts of crazy crap going on. Obviously there was some drama last year uh, at Evo because they felt that the game, the not melee, but um, smash for the Wii U was uh, unbalanced. And they did not like what was going on with Bayonetta in particular and walked out of that game. So melee being excluded again is a big deal. The question you raised to me, which is probably also valid on the dead or alive six side is, is this punishment or retribution, or some sort of olive branch to Twitch based on what happened during Evo Japan with the crazy unveiling stream and the weird yeah. sexual position thing or whatever the hell was going on there. Yeah, there was a lot of things that went on at uh, at Twitch with, or on their Twitch stream, which Evo claims like basically wasn't scripted. They had no idea it was coming. Some of it was uh, largely driven by this kind of sponsored... A reveal of Dead Alive Six that went a little, little sideways, a, <laughs> so a little, uh, yeah, little, little bit more than spooning going on, and uh, it just was really a, a lot of stuff in poor taste, in which well, some of they were able to like cut from stream, and uh, but people also revealed some of the videos what really even went on after the stream was cut, yep. and so Evo came out and said we're, we're, we're kind of sorry, this isn't our standards of stuff, and now <laughs> here's the next Evo and. Oops. No Dead or Alive 6. No Dead or Alive. Uh, A couple other interesting notes here. So that means no Guilty Gear. So they're officially saying that we are replacing Guilty Gear with Blaze Blue. We had Guilty Gear and Blaze Blue last year. Now the question is, is is that fourth franchise they teased last year at Evo, which we've heard nothing about since, getting unveiled in Is It Guilty Gear? How much can we read into the exclusion of Guilty Gear at this stage? Um, And just as... The other thing is it's on the final day, which is a huge thing. Now, Guilty Gear, I believe, kicked off the final day last year. So Arc Systems has had a non-Dragon Ball Fighters title in the main stage on the final day before, but Crosstag does not necessarily represent the same level of fan support as Blaze Blue does currently, because that game got that initial round of characters and largely has not seen anything beyond balance updates in a while. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, Another big thing is Dragon Ball Fighters is not on the main stage for the last day. So this is interesting for two reasons. One, it was the most watched game at the Evo final day last year. And two, there's been all these rumors slash reports of Dragon Ball Fighters tournaments getting shut down because of somebody. And we still yet to pinpoint who one of the rights holders for Dragon Ball, which is a very complicated situation, depending on the medium and things of that nature uh, as to who is the actual rights holder. In this case, it would be complaining. But does this have anything to do with it? Why it's not going to be on that final day when there's literally no reason it shouldn't be, given its popularity, given the announcement of Season 2, and given the fact that it drew a larger audience last year than even Street Fighter drew? Right, right. Well, another thing we haven't talked about is Injustice is left out. Didn't Which is get I, we get, but this is the typical thing, right? Yeah. Nether Realm Studios has a new game come out; it always replaces it. We lost Mortal Kombat X when Injustice Two came out, so we get Mortal Kombat Eleven replacing Injustice Two, which means no more sense. freaking Aquaman Triton Rush, which is the greatest thing ever. But if uh, Mortal Kombat and Injustice were both Arc System games, it'd be okay; they'd both be up there. That is definitely fair. the the one The one differentiation I will say is I would say, and obviously I'm showing my anime 
bias right here because I'm a huge anime fighter fan. But I view those games to operate very differently, especially Guilty Gear versus Blaze Blue. Right, because yeah. Blaze Blue is your traditional tag fighter, where Guilty Gear is a normal one-on-one based game. Uh, but fair point. Um, I think the other thing we should talk about here is you said, sounds like some people are buying slots here. Yeah. Because, you know, we know there's probably something to promote for Blaze Blue. Uh, we know there's always something to promote for Street Fighter. There'll be some new character unveiled. T- Tekken 7 will probably kick off another season. There's been no rumors at this point of a, a well into development Tekken game. Uh, but Samurai Showdown, this is interesting because Samurai Showdown is a SNK game. It's a remake of, or a remaster. It's not a remaster. It's more of a remake of a previous iteration of Samurai Showdown. And we've largely not spent a whole lot of time with this game. We've seen the reveal trailer. Uh, I honestly yeah. had forgotten it was coming out. Uh, not, And that's someone who used to be a massive Samurai Showdown fan. And SNK, generally speaking, has not had a great track record at EVO since they started going 3D with, I think it was, I forget which iteration, but one of the iterations of King of the Fighters went yeah. 3D and everyone just slayed it because their models and lighting were shit. Oh, yeah. It was, and it was like a horrible game. And they've slowly gotten better. And I will say the visuals from the reveal trailer for Samurai Showdown have me super excited. But yeah. for it to get a main stage spot when the game's not even out yet, this does ring to how we reacted when Dragon Ball Fighters got a main stage spot without it being released. The difference there is I believe there was some beta and people had, had access to the game at that There's, point. Yeah. Where here, as far as I know, nobody's had a chance to play, uh, at least that we know about, uh, Samurai Showdown out in the public. There's not been any like behind closed doors things that people have published about. People like Maximilian and things of that nature that he tends to get access to. I've not seen anything on his channel about that yet. So this is a pretty big preemptive uh, move to the main stage. Right. And it does kind of reduce the excitement of the main stage in a certain degree because it is a general unknown game. So we do not necessarily have the overall strength of lineup that we maybe had for main stage Evo titles in the past. Well, they also claim that they're doing a lot of stuff for the side tournaments as well, what they've not done in the past. Uh, They're essentially giving them more weight this year. Uh, So you'll likely still see these titles taking place right i'm assuming though they haven't really said what all the side stuff is i think on. this is just their uh, tidy little preemptive yeah. olive branch for the melee people that will not give a crap and want it back on the main stage right right so what i find funny is like yeah no melee but we prepared this video of the best years of melee just like almost kind of like rub the salt in the moon and the worst was like i said i watching hungry box box watch this live and then it multiple times he's in there in the melee video and it ends on him winning and like his face and it was just like you just like watch him and you could just tell he was just devastated i'm gonna say this again i think i've went on this ramp before after evo last year the melee community i appreciate them but it's just it's holding back smash brothers because it splits the community it is very. It becomes increasingly hard for them to support because of the technology needed in order to continue to play Melee in these competitive tournaments. And I appreciate it, but the fact that they have hung on to it the way they have, this would be like people like, nope, sorry, Street Fighter 2 has to be on the main stage right. all the time. Yeah. It's yeah, like, I, I just, agree. just let it go. But the question I have for you to wrap this up is, does this actually hold? Do in August... In Vegas, do we see Melee on the main stage? Uh, I don't think they'll cave. I, I don't think they'll cave. And I almost I can tell you largely because I feel like Nintendo is is definitely putting a lot of weight on Ultimate being there, and it's I'm sure there's probably something in their agreement that says no Melee. 
time to time to that i'm glad you went there because that was going to be my take on it which was that nintendo it has a say and they've worked with nintendo in the past but i've guaranteed you nintendo said we have all our eggs in the smash ultimate basket the whole point of this version of smash was to kill all the previous versions because they put like all the mechanics in they put all oh, yeah. the characters and they went all in on this stop playing bloody melee is what they were trying to say yeah. and again this is not shitting on melee as a game i appreciate that community i still play a bunch of old school games i want power stone to come back onto the main stage but it'll never happen so just get over it like yeah you have to move on at some point in time it's been what almost 18 years or something along the lines uh yeah yeah it's going on two decades <clears throat> it's, it's insanity how, how i mean you you can't expect it to be there forever i mean in all the fact honesty, that it went that far is just crazy yeah it's definitely been uh, i think hungry box says like it's been like the thing that has kind of held the community together yeah. largely because of evo evo the tournament uh, in the event and melee is largely what's kept that community well together because it's the event, right? Yep. And uh, now that it's not there, there's nothing to work towards in right. the same way. Yeah. Yep. All right. Moving on to your favorite part of the program. Blizzard has announced finally, not an announcement of an announcement for a party of an announcement, but Huzzah. Blizzard announced changes to Hearthstone's 2019 competitive season dubbed Hearthstone Masters, which includes a new format, tournament, and prize structures. Uh, To say people were unhappy about this reveal would be an understatement. Uh, Now, I know you've got a lot to say about this. You also enjoyed watching me discover it for the first time as I was reading through it before the show. Uh, Go ahead. Don't slip in your puddle of angry tears and tell me what's going on here. (laughs) So I I think there there are some positives in this. And that we finally know Uh, something? And that, well, (laughs) yeah, that's one. Um, but the the format, the specialist format, I I'm super super skeptical of, uh, for uh, multiple reasons. So let's start with the good because let's always end like it on a bad seconds. note. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the good thing is is that they're allowing a little more transparency into how you qualify for a tournament. They're doing almost like every day basically a qualifier tournament. Uh, during say like for two months, you have the ability to do these online tournaments through Battlefy. And to qualify, if you win one of these tournaments, you essentially get thrown into a pool to kind of go to the, I believe it's like the Masters Tournament. Uh, and the other way you can qualify for these Masters Tournament is being in the top 200 on ladder. And that if you end up in the top 200 on ladder, you actually get thrown into it, its own like ladder tournament yep. qualifier. Yep. And if you're in one of the top four in that, then you get thrown into... Uh, that uh, that, that, that kind of so actually tournament. value ladder progression, which is more sustained over like right. a one-off tournament win. So, and the other thing, what I find is a, a bonus is that they will do constant updates uh, in the week leading up to the end of the ladder season, or basically the end of the month, uh, and it will tell you like where people are standing in the top two hundred, which is something that they haven't done. They're usually it's usually one of those things where like, you just kind of wait and pray that you win it in the last moments. Now, whether or not they'll change how transparent it is in terms of how you're leveling up and, and winning in those last right. pieces is, is something. Yep. Um, because a lot of people, you can win a game and, and go up one rank, lose one game and drop 40 ranks. And you're like, what the hell just happened? And then win that game at the next one in a row. And then you go up one again. It's like, what is going on? And you could just not play and then lose 50 ranks. So there's all kinds of weird stuff that goes on at the end. So it it allows a little more breathing room in the end in terms of points. Uh, you don't have to worry about points in the past. You're automatically thrown into a tournament, which is cool. Uh, so I like that. I, I was really afraid that they were going to get rid of ladder as a whole right. and because they were like, oh, we're no more points for ladder. And people were like, oh, no. Oh, no. It's but it turns out away. that they actually are kind of opening it up a little bit better for ladder. So that's two solid minutes of good. 
Yep, that's it in the show. Now, so this specialist format is where it kind of goes awry. And so what happens here in the specialist format is uh, they're instituting uh, what is essentially like a the poor man's sideboard. Yep. And it's also all these tournaments are happening through Battlefy because they don't have an in-game client because Huzzah, they got rid of it. And, you know, imagine that. So now they can't do it correctly. Is that uh, so, like your Hearthstone nerd voice right there? Yeah, yeah. It's just redundant. Like I can't believe that ever got canned. Um, so what happens is on Battlefy, and it's not even really a sideboard. You're loading in three decks. So you have your primary deck, which could be say Miracle Rogue or whatever it may be, and then you get five cards to differentiate it to make a second deck, and then five cards from again to differentiate. It. So from the original. So you have like your original, and then you build two decks. From that, because they don't actually have a concept of a sideboard, you're essentially <clears throat> making a pseudo sideboard by having multiple copies of the same multiple deck versions. Of, yeah, so yeah. You, you can change out like tech cards or whatever it may be, um, and it's five cards total. That means five if you had copies, five total cards. Yep. So if you add in, say, two Azure Drakes or two whatever Azure Drakes is out, but if you add in two, uh, they actually use this as a demo, which is kind of funny. But if you slide in two of, of one card. That counts as two cards, right? Not just like one card. It counts as two. So it's not five different cards. It is five total cards, regardless of what they are. And so you were going to run into a lot of issues where it is, uh, you know, everybody has to play their first deck. And then you play deck two or deck three. You can choose after the fact. Or you can play deck one again if you lose. And it's interesting because this sideboard thing is blind because of the fact that you're going to know what cards are in there once they select one, but only the selection of the sideboard portion is blind, so you don't know which one they're going to copy so you can counter it. Yeah, and so one of the reasons why I'm, I'm largely skeptical on this, and I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's going to make for really boring matches, which that part I do agree. I think it could be really boring. It does take some skill out of the lineup. It does and it doesn't, be, but the main thing is like you can't really, really differentiate a deck largely – in, uh, in, in with just five cards. Well, not to mention the fact is those sideboard cards are going to have to be very generic tech because be. you don't know what you're going to go up against. Well, you may know what you're going to go up to against, but you may pick a Miracle Rogue deck and face a ton of different types of decks, and you lose a lot of flexibility because it's just those three types, right? You cannot right. say, I'm going to play Rogue, and my Rogue matchup is weak, but that's okay because I got Druid in case this yeah. gets picked. It's literally like, I need a generic tech that could potentially counter the other five top potential decks that I could get. I need to do that in five cards. Like It just feels very limited. So, And it, it limits, I feel like it limits the... It's going to sound weird saying you're building three different decks, but you're really not. You're teching in stuff, but I feel like you, you have... Th- it limits the people who are good deck builders slash strategy people. Cause there's like its own tournament met on how you queue into things. And that's gone now. Well, somewhat, I think a lot of people think that like your, your base deck has to be like the meta version of something. Right. And then two and three is not, but you could actually start your base deck as being an off meta one, which means you could counter what is the meta one with, of that one. So if you're, Facing off against another rogue, and you know the the top meta one is, you could start your primary as being the the counter. You're, right. You've teched against it, so the, it's still there somewhat. But the thing that is really tough about this this requires Blizzard or Team Five specifically to go through and actually balance classes to the is point it? where, like you like right now, it's it's you know it's priest fest, hunter fest. Like yeah. you've got these the, people that that they have like largely polarized uh, matchups or 
have a, a large swath of people that they're good against and they only lose against certain hard counters. But those hard counters are really only good in the meta where there's like a ton of those, right? So if you're right. seeing like 70% priests and you counter priests specifically, right. then you're good. But that's not the case. Like they've never been uh, where every class has something completely viable to the point where I can make three decks of it or even one strong deck. And compete uh, and, and against two. the strongest version of other classes' decks. Right. So it's the balancing aspect is going to be I'm super, super weird. I'm not going to walk in there with, like, Warlock and be like, I'm just going to roll everybody. I mean, right now, I mean, look at what they've done in terms of, uh, the, from a meta standpoint, in terms of just, like, nerfing Shaman out of almost existence. Now, a lot of times when these they make these changes, it's with Foresight that the cards are coming to, that will likely uh, make them too powerful. Um, and I, I feel like having the inclusion of a card... In every deck is, uh, or, or a, a large amount of shaman decks had, say, uh, a flame tongue totem in it, or whatever it may be. Like having something in, in it uh, is only isn't indicative that the card's too powerful. It's just that the rest of the class, the rest of the like cards in the class suck. So they yeah. have to go that route. Yeah, so that's your like de facto pick when it comes to it, your default pick when it comes to it. Now, the counterpoint that people would make to this is that this is how magic works, right? In traditional magic tournaments, is you have your core deck. You have, now, their sideboard operates, I believe, a little bit differently right. than the Hearthstone one does. And obviously, there is that mechanic of you don't know the person's deck beforehand, that we always harp on when we talk about, about Hearthstone in particular. Uh, but... I, I really I struggle to see how this is better. This just seems like it's going to make it even more boring, and it's going to be a big swing for them because, yeah. as you've said, they have largely balanced in a very different way. Like, what are you going to do if everybody just shows up and they're all playing? There's only like top three super viable decks because yeah. super viable means something very different in this format than it was in the conquest format, right? You need to be good at multiple decks and you need to think about all the things you could potentially yeah. counter. There's a chance where this lane just gets really fracking narrow yep. and everybody just plays two or three decks. Yeah. And we could easily see, uh, this is the problem. Like imagine an odd warrior matchup. That's already really, really slow. So, one of the things when I did the the Tespa when I was casting Tespa last year was we had it was right after um uh the set had come out and uh uh or Witchwood came out and it was right after that came out and so Priest was a very long match. And if you entered a mirror, like for instance, we entered a, a best of five that took three hours to cast. Right, because it was just uh, mirror matches took a long time, and so now imagine Odd Warrior versus Odd Warrior, which cl- basically will always go to fatigue, and ends up being like a thirty-minute to an hour-long match, anyways. And then that's that's like sixty percent of the matchups in a tournament, right? Well, so um, yeah, right. There's that. On top of that, on top of that, you've got to sit, as a viewer, I now have to watch Odd Warrior versus Odd Warrior. Okay, Odd Warrior versus Odd Warrior with this tech that matchup always goes into fatigue almost no matter how you play yeah, it the, the tech is like it might make yeah. you go to fatigue one turn less or whatever yeah, it, it it's may not be. like there's this tech in here like especially mirror matchups it's going to destroy the other mirror well i mean there, there are ways around it but either way you've got to get through at least one or two mirror matches that are going to be really really boring and so the one thing is that they're at least going best of three so you only have to win two to do it but if you you're like more likely to go to a third if you know the person's decks and you know the counters. So I think those are things that like really worry me. They could take these matches could take forever and be incredibly boring to watch. I mean, we talk about how the the tournaments already super polarized. 
uh, or sorry, super boring to watch. You see the same decks all the time. Uh, it's so it's going to get even worse. They they amplify that problem, I think, with this. Yep. Now, again, real quickly, we don't know what the future sets are going to be. Things, are, you know, in the rotation, we're going to lose three sets and gain one more. So there, it's going to be a There's huge a chunk of, of time. A lot of turnover. Yeah. So it may be that the upcoming meta and the upcoming cards work for it. I don't know, but based on the current one, it's pretty boring already. Yep, uh, but they believe in it pretty strongly because now they're going to hold their first $250,000 plus tournament, and the yeah. plus meaning they're going to sell some sort of esports bundle that's going to yeah. potentially increase this prize pool. They're going to hold it at the link in Las Vegas, and they're making a big deal about, like, it's going to be all hooked up with power and land and oh, all this stuff. That. A crazy actual yeah. support. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. And, and the best part is is we don't even actually know how this all wraps up because their uh, third type of tournament, which is the Grandmaster Tournament, we know nothing about or how you no. qualify for it. No. They just say win a lot, which is super great. Yeah, and because they've also had all these people earning points that were supposed to get all the money get to go to tournaments uh, and have them like basically wait paid um, – that now we don't know what happens with that. <laughs> so, and that's got to assume it, but we'll find out later, right? TV? We'll, have an, we'll have an announcement on that announcement soon. Oh, so much sadness. Okay. So a, uh, apex legends, which is a game I cannot seem to get enough of. I actually love it. You were talking to me about Anthem today. I thought you were talking about apex legends. I went off. You on just, like, you just like, hear apex. Legends. Yeah. I was just like, Oh, so exciting. And you're like, no, I'm talking about a completely different game. I'm like, Oh, let's not talk about that. Anyways. So apex legends. I, I go again. It, yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say, Oh, it's, it's Arnold weekend, man. Whoa. Anyways. Uh, so Apex Legends competitive gold rush uh, it feels like it's in full effect right now, right? You've got all these teams jumping out there, 100 Thieves, G2. I think we see like Liquid and Call Night. Everybody's like signing up players, even though there's no scene yet. Uh, there's only been a couple like Twitch Rivals tournaments. Uh, it's it, it still seems to be that, that gold rush period like PUBG saw. So does Apex have any better chance, though, at becoming an esports success than those other Battle Royale games? Because we've seen them kind of... Like to give you a perfect per- perfect example, I think the uh, PUBG uh, league yep. saw like like a cap at like almost like fifteen eighteen hundred viewers. Like isn't doing so hot, right? So is it? I mean, we saw H one Z one league. Yep, yep. Fall. Um, so I'm gonna make it not a very bold prediction here. It's gonna follow the same cycle that everything else is falling. It's gonna be that ebb and flow. Like I think. There is very little risk in signing up people to your organization to play as con- these as content games. creators. It's yeah. content creators, right? And this is what we saw a lot in the early days of Fortnite, where there was no tournaments for people to get involved in, but these people have good audiences. They're basically just plucking people from the kill record uh, boards and things of that uh, ilk to try to put a group of people together. They look at their stream numbers, etc. So there's literally no reason for them not to do this. There's a lot of people watching Apex Legends right now. Yeah. Um, we, it's, we'll see if it has any long-term material impact on Fortnite, but clearly like the, the, the new shiny that has so far lasted longer than previous attempts at new shiny. I think uh, obviously blackout mode and call of duty was the last one where we're like, Oh, is Fortnite in trouble here? We, we, we say that we say that, but uh, technically Apex Legends has been out about three weeks uh, and Call of Duty had a big bang to begin with, but it really fell off pretty fast. Yeah, so it's definitely got some sustainability potentially built into it, um, but it's too early to see. I think it still doesn't change the fact that it's really hard to build a real intriguing competitive format around this genre. And while I love what Apex Legends has done to the genre, none of that addresses its ability to be watchable as an eSport. True. Yeah, I haven't seen anything that I would say like stands out to make it... Uh, way more uh, uh, 
easier to watch, easier to follow some kind of narrative in it. Right. Or um, some element to the gameplay that makes it a little bit easier to build a point system around that people understand. The one thing is, is I mean, you can, uh, you it, because squads are three people, it's less people uh, on a map, so it might be easier to follow. Uh, maps, uh, it, rounds seem to go a little bit faster than, because there's a lot more mover, um, maneuverability, you have yep. the ability to cover a lot more ground. Uh, and so maybe that narrative can, I don't know, maybe be defined a little bit earlier, a little bit easier. But, I mean, we don't even have custom servers yet, right? Right, right. We don't have the ability to even spin up, like, third-party tournaments for it. No, like you said, we've only really seen the Twitch Rivals stuff. Right, right. And so, and that is likely just a proprietary uh, land client that uh, 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 Respawn has. So, I don't see, I don't see it getting into the wild just yet. But. No, I mean, I think until somebody, and I'm not saying this would actually even be good, but... Until somebody builds a battle royale game specifically with esports in mind, meaning they tweak everything about it to like this is how you win a competitive match, and this is how we would rank people in a competitive right. match that is different than what we currently have. That is going to be a hard time making that particular genre work well long term in any sort of esports setting. Well, I mean, you can even argue that uh, Fortnite technically hasn't made itself an esport; it's it just thrown a ton of money. At tournaments, which still it hasn't improved the genre, dollars. it's just a ton of money on tournament. People watch it because it's a ton of, yeah, yes. because it's a ton of money. Yeah, yeah, and that's largely what I think. If Apex does continue to continue with this momentum, is about the only thing it can do. And right. does and do they have the kind of money to throw around that Epic has had to throw around on Fortnite? Well. Wait and see. I don't believe it. I don't think you see because this is EA effectively. Yeah, I'm gonna say EA is the, the. They probably have a good amount of money now, but uh, no, not yeah, so they're much. They're not gonna. They're not gonna throw that kind of money around. That's not what EA is looking for. No, like, EA wants to save that back and and prove that they can make money for a year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of making money, G2 Esports has raised another fifteen million dollar round of investment uh, from interestingly enough folks included like Dan Gilbert, who is the uh, owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers that has a relationship with One Hundred Thieves. So I found that part interesting mm-hmm. uh, the most interesting part of this though to me was that in the press release they say this is to include expansion internationally and funding their franchise fees so they are obviously part of the new lec they're yeah. paying franchise fees there it gives you an idea as to are you making your money back from franchising in league of legends right now that answer seems to largely be we don't think we're going to well, even if it, it it is or is not, I mean, this is a way to shore up the the, the business as a whole. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a bad play. It's more indicative of like those franchising fees that are coming around with the promise that that money is going to turn into more money. At least as of now, they don't seem to have enough financial confidence in that yeah. to uh, not make it a point to say this is going to help us pay franchise right, fees. Right, right. Well, I think they also wanted to be clear that it's not all that money was going towards uh, absolute growth of the brand and all these different areas. If you look at G2, G2 has uh, their fingers in a lot of things. They Like just about – you're kind of hard-pressed to even find a game that they're not super into. Um, I mean they're even in – Well, that's true. Uh, (laughs) um, But I mean they're even like Apex Legends. They've already signed a couple content creators. Uh, So they're they're definitely aggressively going after people. And they're even still in the Hearthstone space, which is super rare for just about any – They just forgot about those people. Like their contract just auto-renewed and they're like, shit. It might have been that they signed like a long content – or contract and they're just kind of stuck in as content creators but i mean they're they're a pretty strong brand um ironically i think he was even on this show we were talking about uh Oslot was talking about how g2 is just on the verge of getting relegated basically in the old 
uh, European system yeah, the for old, legal, EU LCS. Yeah, yeah. yeah EU LCS. Like I've already forgot how to say it. Because uh, the funny. LEC is just so great. Yeah, that's right, man. They got the cool icon. Uh, anyways, it's all about the crap. Uh, but remember how they were like, if if they went under, it was like, oh man, we're we're going to go bankrupt for this. And now they're a part of the league. Now they're getting fifteen million. Like it's just such a huge turnaround for Oslo. It shows how because, important franchising is at the moment. Well, yeah, it's League of Legends specifically. Yep, yep, yeah. So, uh, very interesting to see where that plays out. I was just disappointed that it didn't include the uh, obligatory "we're going to build an awesome training center" that every other raise yeah. includes. Yeah, right. Just about every one of those does say something like that. So, we had alluded to it earlier, though. I do want to loop back around and talk about the Fortnite situation. Uh, so, Fortnite's monthly revenue dropped fifty percent in January. That's a huge hit. So if you're wondering whether or not Apex Legends was eating into Fortnite, well, there you go. I would also like to see what happened with Call of Duty and so on and, and such. But, I mean, at this point, should should Epic be worried about the dent that Apex has done? So they, they point to some seasonality to try to explain uh, this. So yeah. they claim that they pulled a lot of sales forward in December because it's the holidays and it was one of their biggest months. And it's still a massive year-over-year growth for the game. I don't think Fortnite needs to be worried from a Apex Legends standpoint, if I'm going to be honest. Like, I think... That Apex Legends, Fortnite as just such a self-sustaining machine at this point that, yes, it will, 50% sounds massive, but when you look at the sheer amount of money that they're making, it's still a epic fuckton even at 50%. I think the bigger Yeah, but that's an epic fuckton than they lost No, no, and I don't disagree with that. Uh, but I think what they need to be more worried about is just the general... Uh, you know, saturation of the battle royale market, not because it's going to spread everybody too thin, but because it's going to more rapidly deteriorate the interest in the genre in right. general. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's maybe what they need is a good auto chess for Fortnite. I mean, we can make it happen. I mean, but really, in all honesty, I think you have to be worried. You have to be worried that the game came in and ate up 50% of your revenue for a month. Irregardless of the fact you pushed forward, random things, you did your NFL skins again, right? You brought back stuff that yep. you had no plans of bringing it back uh, or public plans of bringing it back. Uh, you know, you, you've definitely been churning out new skins and new ways of doing stuff with your battle pass. But the fact that, like, they're saying, well, we're not worried, you know, you absolutely know somebody is, is sweating it because they just had that huge investment and then they lost 50%, dude, 50% of their revenue. Not for like a year, but for a month. Well, so this will be indicative. So Apex Legends actually did not come out until February 4th, which means this drop but, does not have Apex Legends impact on that. So why that is important is it could get worse if yeah. that if Apex, well, because true. you have an entire month now of February, which Apex Legends has been in place since the 4th. The announcement only came a couple of days before Apex Legends dropped. So Call of Duty may have had a drag on them. It may be some seasonality. The question is, is what does February look like in comparison to both January and previous February now that Apex Legends is in play? I thought Apex Legends had like a two-week run before it actually officially came out. So I think it actually did come out in January. I'm almost dead certain. I could be wrong, but I know that they... They there was like almost no announcement like boom Apex Legends and then like okay it's officially out after this like two week period so I thought it came out right around the sixteenth was its technical launch date so it might have been the fourth that it did come out uh, so we could be completely wrong uh, in whole, are. yeah and in this case one of us is yeah one of us maybe <laughs> I, I could have sworn that it did start at the tail end of January which is even scarier 
if, if they lost 50% of the revenue and it was only out a couple of days. So maybe it isn't a huge contributing factor to it. Uh, but I can tell you where it's going to be interesting to see uh, February's numbers. If that's the case. Yeah, because we're going to have the full release one way or the other, and it could potentially get worse for Fortnite, and that'll give us some idea of how much of this is seasonality and how much of it is, is dwindling interest in the game itself. I mean, technically, from like a games development standpoint, January is a really kind of slow month, if, yep. because if you are if you pulled stuff from January to bump it in December, you had people not working a lot in December because it's the yep. games industry, so you wouldn't have had the ability to backfill January. So maybe it could be that... I don't know. I feel like some other people might be eating their lunch, though. Yeah, well, we will uh, find out here in actually a few short days because February is almost over. Oh, well, there we go. Crazy. That's going to do it for this episode. As always, you can catch us each and every week on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Just head over to eLeagueReport.com for all the ways to listen and subscribe. And make sure to leave us a review while you're over there subscribing because, uh, you know, we bring you such accurate news that we guess two dates and one of us is right. Yeah, I was going to say, what a way to end the show. Like, well, maybe we're wrong without a whole segment, but we're leaving it in. We might as well. I mean, <laughs> what the hell? Uh, and if you want to uh, poke fun at whichever one of us is wrong, you can do so over on our Discord server at discord.eleaguereport.com. That's going to do it for this week. We will be back next week with yet another episode of The E-League Report.